For our scripture reading uh, this morning, we turn to the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 48. 48. Uh, in, in this chapter, uh, God sets forth the righteousness of his name and shows that he is the only God and does that especially by prophecy, by sending forth his word, that is the revelation of his name, before something comes to pass so that Israel could know that it was God who did what happened, not the idols. Another thing maybe to keep in mind as you read this is this follows one of the themes of the book. If you go back to Isaiah 5, for example, God there lays out what he's going to do to the nation of Judah. And he's basically going to lay them waste, even though they're his vineyard. And the reason God gives is that he is a righteous and a holy God, and his people, his beloved, do not know his name. And they despise his name. They despise the prophets. And if you remember... Right after that, Isaiah 6 sets forth the call of one of those prophets, Isaiah. And Isaiah sees God on his holy throne. And there's the words, holy, 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 that are repeated. And the first thing that strikes Isaiah is he's undone because he is a man of unclean lips. And then an angel, a seraphim, flies and places a hot coal on his lips from the altar. So one of the themes in the book of Isaiah is the holy name of God revealed by the prophets. Isaiah 48. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. For they call themselves of the holy city and stay themselves, that is, claim they trust in, stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass, because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it thee, lest thou shouldest say, Mine idol hath done them, and my graven image, and my molten image hath commanded them. Thou hast heard, see all this. And will not ye declare it? I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things, and thou didst not know them. They are created now, and not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them not, lest thou should say, Behold, I knew them. Yea, thou heardest not. Yea, thou knewest not. Yea, from that time that thine ear was not opened, for I knew that thou wouldst deal very treacherously, and wast called a transgressor from the womb. For my name's sake, 
will I defer mine anger, and for my praise will I refrain from thee, that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I also am the last. Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. All ye, assemble yourselves and hear. Which among them hath declared these things? The Lord hath loved him. He will do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be on the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Yea, I have called him. I have brought him. He shall make his way prosperous. Come ye near unto me. Hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that I was. it was. There am I. And now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments. Then had they peace, been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. Thy seed also had been as the sand, and the offspring of thy bowels like the gravel thereof. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Go ye forth to Babylon, flee ye from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing declare ye, tell this, utter it, even to the end of the earth. Say ye, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. And they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He cleaved the rock also, and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. We read that far in God's holy word. And consider this morning, Lord's Day 36. What is required in the third commandment? That we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And briefly, that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us, and be glorified in all our words and works is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing. It undoubtedly is. There is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name, and therefore he has commanded this sin to be punished with death. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, once again, hope to show to you from the Word of God and the confession ourself how broad is this particular commandment and its central place in the commandments themselves. 
wish to show how broad is the requirement to honor God's name and how we actually blaspheme or dishonor that name in so many more ways than we might suppose. I remember when I was a little boy one time sitting in the pew and I'd heard a, a sermon on this Lord's Day and the minister very carefully went through our speech and showed how many words and how often in our words we actually blaspheme the name of God to the point where I thought maybe he was overdoing it a little bit because these words were a little too common even in the church. And I remember thinking that that was the main way really we kept the commandment or we violated it and subsequently was taught differently in my life by the preaching of this commandment. I want to begin by way of introduction of just setting forth a couple of principles that help us understand the commitment or the commandment and the preaching of it or the explanation of it of the Heidelberg Catechism. And the first is this, that God is spirit. That's what God is, essentially. Our God is spirit. We learned that already in the last commandment. The last commandment sets forth the principle that God is spirit, and therefore we worship him in spirit. We essentially worship him in our heart. And God may not be represented by images whereby men worship the acts and works of their own hands. That would be to worship God in a lie. God is spirit, and we worship him in spirit and truth. Well, this commandment follows that. It is exactly because God is spirit that God must reveal himself. He is hidden to us. He is otherwise unknown to us. There is no way for us to even know who God is or that he exists, except God reveal himself. And one of the principles of the commandment is that revelation is the name of God. The name of God just simply isn't some words that we think of as the name of God, Lord and God and Jesus or Jehovah. Oh, it's much more than that. Name of God is however he reveals himself, however he is known to us. Another principle behind the commandment is that God chiefly reveals himself by his word, by the word. That should not surprise us because names are words that we speak. So we honor or dishonor God often and most frequently with regard to the words that we speak and even the words that we speak in relationship to the words God speaks. There's a correlation here. There's a correlation between the fact that the commandment addresses our words and our speech and the correlation is to God Himself who reveals Himself by His words or His speech. And God especially does that, of course, we know in the Holy Scriptures. 
But also, God especially does that on the Lord's day, which is why there's going to then be a fourth commandment about what we do on that day. But that's not the extent of the name of God or the revelation of Himself. As the Heidelberg Catechism shows, we also can dishonor or honor God by our actions and by what is in our heart, something that's hidden that might not even come out. Those are going to be the second and third points of the sermon. And again, there will be a correlation. How and why is it that the Catechism can expand honoring or dishonoring the name of God to something beyond our speech? talks about not just our words, but our works. And the answer is because God's name is His works. God reveals Himself in His works. What we say or don't say about the works of God, we say or don't say about His name. And therefore, one of the chief ways, actually, that we honor or dishonor the name of God is with our own works. It's not simply with our mouth. We, we could never utter a blasphemous word. We could never even speak and still blaspheme the name of God in all of our life. And it's all also a matter of the heart. And why is that? Well, it has to do with the fact that God reveals Himself unto us because of His heart, what God has determined in His heart, and the attitude of His heart toward us. That's brought out even in the passages that we've read. It's brought out in the commandment and the explanation of the commandment. Why is it that God addresses us this morning with this commandment? Is it a matter of a few rules? What's this all about? And the answer really is because God revealed Himself with a certain attitude toward us, an attitude of love, and where especially we are moved to honor or dishonor the name of God, it has to do fundamentally with the great revelation of the name of God in Jesus Christ. And those things we hope to point out this morning as we consider this third commandment under the theme, using God's name with fear. Heidelberg Catechism sets forth that we use the name of God only with fear and reverence. And so keeping the commandment has to do with what's in our heart. Either fear and reverence or dishonor. We're going to notice we do that with all our words, with all our actions, with all our heart. We do that. Because as we were reminded this morning when the law was read, that the law of God makes a demand upon all of our life. Never does it address merely our words or our heart. Outward actions to the exclusion of inward actions. And we see that even here in this commandment. In this commandment, which speaks directly to our lips, our words, and is about the name of God, a word or words about God, it's much broader than that. But we begin with the commandment itself concerning our words. It requires we glorify God, we honor God, we fear the name of God. That's clearly the emphasis when it forbids taking the Lord's name in vain. 
It has to do with something that we speak or that we say with our speech. Here is a good reminder that one of the chief ways that we keep the commandment, and then conversely, one of the chief ways that we would dishonor the commandment has to do with what we confess, what we, what we say. And that's not simply a matter of using certain names of God commonly. Call them swear words or curse words, which are very, very common today. And isn't, well, it's worth pointing out, not ignoring. Did you ever ask yourself, why is the name Jesus used so much? Or just simply the name God or the attributes. They're just used today like any other word, like any other name. And so common are they that we perhaps don't even really take notice anymore that it's going on in the music, going on in the movies and the TV shows. It's, it's, it's just common. Christ. Jesus Christ. Oh God. Oh my God. OMG. Right? Ever ask why? Do you think that's just a culture? That's just a practice? It's not. It's not. What we have to understand is it is an expression of the wickedness of man. You don't see man misusing other names. Not even other gods. You you don't see him misusing the name of other gods used in other religions. That doesn't happen. It's always specifically Jesus or Christ. And when they talk about God, they're not just talking about some idol gods like the Romans worshipped or the Hindus worship. No. They have in mind our God, the Christian God. And one of the first, thing, first things we've got to understand is that is not innocent. That is just not bad rearing. That's just not kids growing up in homes where this goes on. And by the way, let this be a reminder to you the speech that goes on in your homes that you think is hidden behind the walls of your homes is revealed often by your children. By your children. They pick it up. They realize that if it's common in the home, well, why can't it be common in my life? And you can tell them that they shouldn't be using those terms outside of the home, but when you use them in the home, they're going to do that. It's an amazing thing. Be that as it may, it has to do with hatred for our God. It is not innocent. And it may not be for us too. Do not let, oh my God, be an expression that you use at all. It may not come across your lips. And by the way, I would expect most of us wouldn't use this kind of language in our home or around each other. But it's in our heart. It's there. We use it when people aren't looking. And you know how you can tell? When someone gets mad at you or when someone gets mad and angry. That's a tell. 
That's a tell. The words that come out of the mouth. The words that come out of the mouth without thinking. The words that come out of the mouth when you're unguarded. Sometimes we even shock ourselves. Words may come out of our mouth that we've never used when we're really angry. And it shows you the depths of our depravity. And it's such that when we are angry or mad or when we're disappointed, we attack God by attacking His name. Which one of us is ever going to lower our head in prayer and let it rip at God? How dare you, God? How dare you give me this disease? How dare you take my wife? Can you believe it? I smashed my car up. It's God's fault. No one's going to do that. But we will curse the name of God. You see, that's what's going on in the world. And there's no check and balance to it. That shouldn't happen in the church. We may not use blasphemous language and by the way, or language that's crude. The F word, we call it the F-bomb. That is being heard frequently in our circles. That should not happen. And what it indicates, what it indicates is we are becoming worldly. We are watching programs we ought not watch. Or we're not rebuking the word. Well, you could say, well, that's not, strictly speaking, a blasphemous word. Oh, I can, I can assure you it, it's always accompanied with a lot of blasphemous words. Rarely is that word ever used all on its own. Let's not be naive people. What a shame and what a disgrace when you can't tell a Christian from an ungodly person because they use that kind of language. Now, Having said that, even if we would never use the F word, even though we would never say, God damn it, or Jesus Christ in disgust, even though we would never do that, we can blaspheme the name of God using our words, using other words. You see, The chief way that we honor the name of God is actually by confessing the name of God. If you ask yourself, what is this commandment all about? The answer is it's about worship, the content of worship. The first commandment is who we worship. Who do we worship? The one true and only God. The second commandment is how do we worship Him? And the answer is in spirit and in truth. Not by idols, not by worshiping in the hands, our works of our hands, those things that can't do anything. We worship the one true God, the righteous God. And then the third commandment really is the content of that worship. You see, we can talk about worshiping God, and we can talk about worshiping God in spirit, but what does that mean? How does that really take practice? How is that actually done? And the answer is by honoring or dishonoring the name of God. So this is referring to worship. So let's just go to a worship service. Worship services that we claim are honoring the name of God. And what do we do here? What's going on here? And the answer is God's name's being preached. You may summarize all of worship and all of preaching simply as honoring the name of God, confessing the name of God, receiving the name of God, and praising the name of God. It's that simple. 
when we confess the Apostles' Creed, I believe we are honoring the name of God. Do you, do you understand that? You may take everything that goes on in worship, everything, anything. What's true worship? And by the way, this is how you can distinguish false worship, that which violates the second commandment. How do you tell when you do that? How, how does that brought up? And the answer is it either honors or dishonors the name of God. And, and we might say, oh, I, I understand that. I get that. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense to me. I, I see that. God reveals himself in the Holy Scriptures, and when we preach, we preach the Holy Scriptures, we preach the Word of God, and I'm receiving that Word of God, I'm delighting in that Word of God, that's, that's the name of God. I'm honoring or dishonoring the name of God. But do we ever think, however, that really whenever we are not speaking about the name of God, we're really dishonoring it. It's, it's just not a matter of using or not using swear words. It, it's really not even a matter of confessing the name of God in church. But do we, do we really understand that everything that comes out of our mouth, everything, from children, it's time to pick up your room, or negotiating a business contract. Everything that comes out of our mouth in the form of words either honors or dishonors the name of God. It's not like some of our speech may or may not, but truly the only way not to violate the commandment is to be confessing the name of God. You say, Reverend, you go too far, way too far. I mean, I got to raise my children, and I, I got to go to work, and I got to shop, and I got to do things, I got to say things. You can't expect me all the time to be talking about who God is and what God is, confessing the truth of justification by faith alone or election or what a wonderful God our God is in Jesus Christ. And the answer of, well, number one is don't discount that. Don't minimize that. Why, why is it that you have lots of people that really like the idea of being saved and going to a place called heaven for the rest of their life but really aren't interested in God being there? The answer is because what do you think we'll be doing all the days of our life eternally? You'll be praising God with your lips, your words, in all that you do. That is the commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all of your being. That's why it's so silly and foolish when we, we ask questions about what, what we'll be doing and, and we want really the answer to be sort of all the same things we get to do here. And when we talk about sinless and being perfect, we don't really understand that God owns our lips and our mouth and our body and our soul and our mind. He owns it all. What think, what youth makes us think we can use that for ourselves or to honor ourselves and glory? Do we understand that? Do we understand how God judges our speech? Go read the Scriptures. Go, go read the Belgian Confession, last article about the judgment and how God's going to look at our speech. 
We should talk about, look at the foolish talking and the jesting. It's just a joke. See, if it's just a joke, well, we get away with it, right? We can call our wife all kinds of names. It's just a joke. It shows you how far off we are from understanding that all of our words are judged and judged in the light of God's words. And we ought to be talking about God 24-7, all the time, every time we open our lips, and we don't. Unfortunately, we have a gracious God who understands, who places special demands on us for the Lord's Day, but don't minimize that. Whenever we open our lips, and we're talking about the game, or how much money we're going to make tomorrow, is that honoring the name of God? Underlying this commandment, we have to understand one more thing with regard to honoring God with our words. If it's true that the name of God is the revelation of Him in anything, the name of God is His work of creation. You can blaspheme the name of God by what you say about what's going on in the creation, providence, or what you say about how God made the heavens and the earth. Evolution, the teaching of that is blasphemy. It's not just mistaken, it's blasphemy. It's blasphemous to teach what's being taught about origins. And we can blaspheme God about our talk about the weather. The revelation of God's name is everything that he does, everything that he speaks. But if that's true, do we understand then that the chief revelation of God is by his word? Ah, yes, we say. Oh, yeah, I understand that. Chief, preaching is the chief means of grace, and, and we have this Bible called the Word. And so what we say about this and what we confess with regard to this is a matter of keeping or dishonoring the third commandment. Do you ever understand that? We have doctrinal issues that come up or other things in Scripture. Do we understand that studying the Scripture, say, on a Wednesday evening every other week, is a matter of honoring or dishonoring the name of God. We, we, we say very loudly to God what we think about His name. We say, don't think much of your name. i got other things to do. And we can't even crack open our Bible and have devotions. We're, we're speaking very loudly about what we think about the name of God. We're blaspheming that name. We're saying it's not worth my time. I know all I need to know. Matter of the name of God, but let's go a step further. Do we understand that the name of God, the, the revelation of God, the fullest, the most complete revelation of God is Jesus Christ? Period, end of story. Take any name of God, take any work of God, they are all part of the revelation of His name. Hence, God has names. But there's one name above every name. There's one name that's higher than all the rest. There's one name that we use to pray. There's one means by which we know God. And if there's any dispute about God, anything that we need to know about God, it is all seen and known only in and through Him. Period. That's why we can say at the same time that Jesus Christ is the heart and center of the preaching of the Word. Don't misunderstand that. I fear that's being misunderstood and it's being used to divide and separate in the church, create schism. 
Does this or that displace the perfect work of Christ? Well, it may or may not, but does the individual that's asking that question or making that point understand that you don't displace the perfect work of Christ only when you make works that by which you're justified, that you displace the perfect name of Christ, that is, you blaspheme the name of God in every sin that you make. Every sin displaces the work of Christ. Every sin is against Him. Every sin is blasphemy against Him. We don't understand that, do we? But that's, that's fundamentally why only the Christian can honor the name of God and why he dishonors it. It's so horrendous. It's so terrible. Why God did to Israel and Judah what He did, which was worse than He did to the nations from a certain viewpoint, because it was His vineyard, it was His beloved people. And that's why dishonoring or honoring the name of God with fear or unbelief is a matter of one's actions. You see, it's amazing that, again, I want to start with some principles here. Did God reveal Himself to us merely by speaking? No, He didn't. Now, that's a major part of how He revealed Himself. In the beginning, God spoke and said, let there be. It's in the beginning that God spoke the word we, revealing that He was triune, but God especially revealed His name in that creation that He made, and, and so that's the emphasis. And the Apostle John picks up on that and understands, but that was really the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ and why He calls Him the Word. And He mimics Genesis 1, in the beginning was the Word. God was speaking, and God was speaking by the Word, and the Word that He spoke by was Jesus Christ who is and was with God from the beginning. But once you grasp a hold of that, that yes, God, God's name is revealed in the Word and, and why God sent prophets, prophets who spoke. And you understand why it was so wicked then when Israel plugged their ears to the prophets or worse yet, just cut them in pieces or stoned them which happened to untold number of prophets. The message of the prophet wasn't simply, this is what's going to happen. And please read the prophets again, by the way. According to the judgment of Son, the prophets didn't bring the gospel. Well, the gospel is only a few verses here and there, say in Isaiah. A few chapters here and there. No, no, no. They brought the Word of God. They brought the gospel. And that word was, you're blasphemers. You people of God who are named by the Lord's name, who go by the name Israel, has the name of God. Literally. Blaspheme the name of God day in and day out. That was the word. And because of that, God's going to destroy you. He's going to send some nations, or He's going to send some bugs, or He's going to send some drought. He's going to do different things because you may keep blaspheming the name of God. And the response was always the same. How? We don't blaspheme you, God. We go to the temple. We, we do our sacrifices. Well, we, we, we sing psalms. Psalms, too. Not hymns. We sing psalms. And we're, we're, we're the chosen children of Abraham. That was the response. 
kill this prophet. Kill this, kill this downer, this pessimist. And what on what basis was that the message? And it was the message. You're blasphemers. Not just idolaters, but in your idolatry, you blaspheme. And the answer is in all their works. God judges differently than we do. God saw them buying house after house and farm after farm and making them all big, building huge barns, going here and there, making business deals. It wasn't just that they had idols on every corner and they were making the streets run with the blood of the prophets, but they were completely self-absorbed. All of their life, all of their speech was about themselves, was about their nation and how wonderful. What? And they had it good. They had a lot of things going, but God was not in all their speech. And when God was in their speech, God said, you're lying. You're not telling the truth. You come here and praise my name. You talk about how you're looking for the Messiah, but you're carnal, you're earthly, you're blasphemers. And you say, why does God judge that way? What's that all about? And the answer is because God doesn't simply reveal himself by his words. God doesn't just simply speak. He acts. He acts. When God says, I am the righteous God, I am the holy God, which is one reason we ought to use his name with fear and reverence. There's a reason why the word fear has the meaning of worship and honor, but also the name of being very, very, very afraid. For your life afraid. Well, why is that? Well, do we understand what it is that God is a holy and a righteous God? No, obviously not. Obviously not. When you look at the state of the church of God throughout time and history, the behavior is not a reflection that God is the holy and the righteous one and revealed himself that way. It's more revelation. God's just like us. His name's like us. He acts like us. He thinks like us. God wouldn't do the things that these prophets are saying he's going to That can't happen to us. God says, hmm. Let me reveal to you my holiness. Let me reveal my righteousness. I pointed it out last week. Go to your Bible sometime and read the numbers of the children of Israel and Judah. Go read their numbers. Count them up. And then look. Look at how many were left when the Lord was done revealing His holiness and His righteousness. God acts. God in the passage that we read says, I, I'm the only God. I can't tolerate other gods. I have to remove them from your homes. I have to remove them from your life. I can't allow you to keep blaspheming my name and being a terrible witness to me. I can't allow it. So he acts. In the, process, in the process too, he got rid of the unrighteous and unholy in the land. Those who in fact, didn't care for God, love God, or fear God in any way, shape, or form. But be that as it may, God acts. Now, let's remember one other thing. We may skip over those things. People would tell us we ought to skip over them. It's not part of the gospel. That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. The Word of God is the revelation of God's name, and there's no one word that honors God's name more than another. God's Word about the third commandment must be strictly preached like it was for the prophets. 
I would imagine there were even a few that threw some stones at the prophets. Said Isaiah, Isaiah, you, you need to preach just the 53rd chapter and the 40th chapter. All the rest of them get rid of. You're displacing the perfect work of Christ. Imagine that could happen. But it's not true. It's blasphemy. But let's remember, that's not the only revelation of God, is it? And God's name is revealed primarily in Jesus Christ, isn't it? In the name Jesus Christ. And we don't honor the name of Jesus Christ simply by singing Jesus, 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 Jesus all the time. That's blasphemy. A lot of that going on in the churches. We can listen to those songs and say, wow, they're really honoring God. Maybe you could listen to them and honor God too, but most of it's not honoring Him at all because the Jesus that's represented by those terms and names isn't the Jesus of Scripture. He's a Jesus that loves everyone, takes everyone the way they are, has literally nothing to say about sin except, well, I forgive your sins. But he forgives the sins of everybody. He died for the sins of everybody. That's, that's a blasphemous Jesus that's being sung about in the churches. That's what God sees. That's what God's going to judge very soon. But do you understand what, why now we may blaspheme the name of God? because of what's revealed in that particular act and work of God. Do we understand that? Why is it that we take the name of God in vain? Why is it, even if we would never use a blasphemous term, we still take the name of God in vain because we, we just don't have a lot of time for God. We have a lot of time for ourselves and our name. Oh, and you say something bad about me, I'm going to react. I'm going to react. We have church full of people that are all angry at each other because of things that people said or intimated, and, and we get all feisty about that. But we never consider the fact that the name of God is not honored among us as it ought. We have the name of men upon our lips far more than the name of God. we got all kinds of time to study things of this world, but not God's Word. Well, the problem there is we, we don't really we don't really understand how righteous and holy is our God. We, we ought to. When we read the Scriptures, and when you consider that, oh, I don't know, there's a good, good share of the Scriptures where God is judging His people rather righteously, rather harshly. But consider Jesus Christ. You cannot have a cross and you cannot have forgiveness unless you first of all have a righteous God who in order for us to have fellowship with Him, in order for us to love Him, in order for us to keep His name holy, must bear all the wrath of that God Himself. God must bear His own righteous anger. That's our God. And you really don't understand the cross of Christ and the hellish agony of it until you go back and read what God did to Israel, his beloved. That's just a picture. That's just a picture of what God thinks of idolatry and blasphemy and a weak one. That God would take out millions in horrible ways and lay waste to everything that he allowed them to build and gave them? Well, if you don't understand that, then you don't understand Christ. Is there anyone that God loves more than his own son? 
loved more because he's the eternal son. Love because he's the first and the last. That is, everything comes out of God through his son and returns right back to him. He's the last. Everything that we are, everything that God gives us, everything that we must speak and say and do must all go back to God. And it doesn't, does it? And our response to that is, oh well, that's just life. That's just who we are. We can confess we're depraved, but we really don't understand it. Everything, everything goes back to God or else. Well, you can't handle the or else. You don't understand the or else. So God takes it on himself. And his own son, God himself, bears his own anger and wrath against all the times we've done what we've done. And now if you ask yourself, why do we then do what we do? The answer is we don't appreciate that. You see, blaspheming the name of God isn't simply a matter of your words and your actions. It's a matter of your heart. Why is it that some of the speech that goes on in our churches is blasphemous? Why is it that we can put up with what we put up with that's blasphemous? Why is it that we we defend our own name to the tooth, but we turn a deaf ear to the blasphemy against God's name. Why is it that we don't see that even sin, any sin displaces the work of Christ? Any sin is terrible and blasphemous. And it is. Go back and read the Scriptures. Read how often God calls us to holy living, lest we be the occasion for blasphemy, which implies our own sin is blasphemy. Why is that? The answer is really simple. Because we don't know that name enough. We haven't studied that name enough. We haven't thought about that name enough. All we've done is considered our own name. But when you consider the revelation of God in Jesus Christ and you think about it, then how can you but respond with, now that God, I fear. That's a God who's worthy of all of my time, all of it all of my energy, all of my soul. His demand is not too great. That's really where all the blasphemy starts or it ends, in the heart. And the heart that understands that it's been justified, made righteous not by what we've done or not done, but by God Himself, on the basis of what Christ's done, and done for such a wretch like me, you see? Ask yourself next time, why, why, why am I not so incensed when I hear the name Jesus used in a common and profane way, just as an exclamation? Why don't I get incensed about that? Andrew's because I don't think much of Jesus. I sing about Jesus and go to church. I read about Jesus, but I really don't think much of it. That's really the answer. And that's really the chief way that we blaspheme Christ too. Although we never use the name Jesus in disgust. Now to fear God, to use his name rightly, to reverence his name, to honor him, we honor and reverence his son, Jesus Christ, and honor what he did 
and that revelation of God. Not just the holiness of God and the righteousness, but the love of God. And you will not understand the love and grace of God unless you go back <laughs> and see the righteousness of God. <laughs> they go together. And that's the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord, our God, we thank Thee for Thy Word, Thy Word of truth. We pray, Father, be gracious unto us. Forgive our sins and our Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered the penalty and the price for them. And we pray that with pure hearts, hearts that Thou hast declared are righteous and holy, though we be depraved ourselves, we may therefore honor thy name with fear and reverence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.